Hey everyone, welcome along. This is the V8 Sleuth Podcast, our special race control episode after the Boost Mobile Gold Coast 500. Note to Peter Adderton, I did call it the Boost Mobile Gold Coast 500. Apparently got a little shirty about that last week with various other media outlets, but clearly it wasn't us. So let's get into the V8 Sleuth race control pod, and I've got the right guy to be alongside me for this one. Craig Baird, the Driving Standards Advisor for the Repco Supercars Championship. Beto, I've gone home to Melbourne. You've stayed on the sunny Gold Coast. I think we've got a bit to talk about here. But first of all, how was the weekend in the grand scheme of things? Look, at the end of the day, the um, the Boost Mobile 500 is just a, a mega event. It's just one of those events in the supercar calendar you look forward to. It's, um, it's always action-packed. There's always plenty to talk about. There's always a bit of controversy, so uh, let's get into it. So the point of the V8 Sleuth Race Control pods, we're going to do this also after the Velo Adelaide 500. Uh, the point is that there's so much that comes out of these events, of the decisions or the things that don't happen out of race control on penalties, non-penalties, on-track incidents, off-track incidents. And I thought it was a great idea for us to get together, which we do and have in the past to discuss these things that have produced website stories and and other forms of content. But I wanted the fans to hear exactly the who, what, when, where, why and how, rather than perhaps going off on a tangent or taking half of the right information and bolting something else to it that's not quite right. So a few things to step through from the weekend, but let's start with Sunday and David Reynolds, great win for Grove Racing in the, the Penrite Mustang. Plenty of chat from fans and people in the pit lane about his last few laps and the cutting of the chicanes. Was there any consideration of him being outside the bounds of play with what was going on there? Yeah, look, there certainly was. Um, let, let's take the last lap. Um, he, he definitely went in there a little bit too deep. I think he had intentions of it deep down. Um, but you've got to take I, – I discussed it with the stewards and you, you've, you've got to take it into consideration what's the outcome. Did It would be very different if they went in side by side or if Brody was, you know, challenging him for that position at that corner. Um, they have their curb strike and cut allocation and I must make this very clear and I said this to Barry Ryan as well. I said – Dave was probably one of the best on the curbs all weekend. Um, so he was well under his allocation. Um, being the last lap, he was also in a position where he could have just driven it down the inside to stop any pass anyway, because we've always said that, you know, they can be defensive on that last lap or so. So was there a pass on? Was there a breach? You've got to weigh that up. And could you imagine if I gave a five-second penalty for a curb hop on the last lap of uh, the Boost Mobile 500. It just doesn't sit. So as Barry Ryan said to me straight after, he had no drama with it. He even said, you know, like Brody had used the curb a couple of times to challenge a pass or make a pass. So I guess the drivers were using, if they had some up in their allocation, they used them how and where they wanted. But the other element, I guess, to all of it is, Beto, that um, I think of it a bit like, basketball well and we should point out too this track's so unique it, it, it comes with some of these things that you don't have these issues at lots of other racetracks but in the SEN radio call that I did with James Moffat on the weekend one of the things that I talked about was saving the pennies because you can because that's the nature of the 
the style of the event, the track and the systems that are at play for the, the drivers and for you guys in race control. It's a bit like basketball where if, you, you know, if you've got four fouls, uh, you can't really attack the play. But if you've played a good game for three and a half quarters and you've got some to give to delay the other team, to foul them to get the ball back, it's a bit similar to what's going on here in supercars where it's a it's an element of play that the drivers can use for both defensive purposes but offensive purposes as well. Yeah, look, in motorsport, it's not an ideal situation. It is the nature of the track. And I, I honestly think um, I've had these discussions with Motorsport Australia and I've had them with supercars. I think we need to look at maybe changing some of the corners or some of the curb structures to, to, to maybe take this element of the game out of it because it's it's actually hard work for us because we're given a circuit, we're told what supercars want. You can't go to Wimbledon with no lines. You've got to play the game on a court. Um, so we're put in a difficult situation where we we have to police it. Um, but we're kind of policing something we don't really want to police, and I, th- I think there's better options out there. And it's probably more so on curb profile and then taking the sensors out completely so as they have the curb, they can use it, they can use as much as they want, but they'll pay the price if they use too much. I, th- I think going forward, something has to be done. That The track essentially becomes the regulator, the physical track, rather than race control yeah we go to adelaide and that's exactly what happens the the track is the regulator um you know we we just spent so much time um looking out for track limits and you don't want it and it's look as a driver you you're greedy you use as much as you can the drivers proven the shootout on the saturday we had one strike out of 50 opportunities for a strike um but the problem is for the drivers when they're all in a queue. If the front of the queue, the front of the train gets it wrong, the rest generally follows. So, look, they have their allocation. They get their bad sportsmanship flag. Then we go from there to a, to a minimum penalty, which is five seconds. But it's something that we just we don't like. We don't like to have to enforce track limits. The second one that I wanted to raise that's got plenty of people talking uh, was also from the Sunday race, from from very late, the um, scenario where Scott Pye ended up out of the race in the fence after uh, James Golding had slapped the wall and had a spin um, and was facing the wrong way. Both guys had been having a, a really good run in that race. Um, I actually walked out of the track with Scott yesterday and, and he was um, aggrieved about the situation. But um, having read and seen your comments in, in the aftermath and the discussions that you've had, clearly... The element, and this is a, a topic that I guess flows on from other rounds here, that while there's a yellow flag out there, that's the governing factor of of why nothing was to, to happen there in terms of penalising James Golding for that flick turn. Correct. So first of all, I feel for Scott Pye, there's no doubt. He had, he had run a really good race. He was on for a mega result and he ends up in the fence. So from his point of view, he feels that that's totally James Golding's fault. But let's put ourselves in James Golding first. He's the first one. He didn't rejoin the track first. That's the key element. He was trying to get himself out of a difficult situation. He was parked dead center of the track. So he was trying to leave the zone, not re-enter the zone. So 
I reckon if I sat any race driver down and they were facing the traffic at a corner like that, the first thing they'll do is flick turn and try and get out of there as quickly and as safely as possible. But then you've got to say, well, he understands that there's a yellow out. He can look down the road and see the yellow as well. So that gives him a little bit of wriggle room to to turn his car. He flick turned it. It was still basically in the middle of the road. He didn't have any options. People say, oh, the only other option he has, he may have been able to flick turn the other direction. But that is something of a race driver. You just do what's an instinct at the time. So without sort of muddying the waters, I don't think he had a lot of options. It was an unfortunate situation that could have been avoided had if the yellow been obeyed. I spoke to Will Brown about it. He was the first one on the scene. He saw the yellow. He said he clearly saw the yellow. He slowed to a point, but he didn't know where the accident was. So his option, he went straight through the chicane. He went straight through as a cut. Not a bad option because he thought initially the accident might have been sort of to the left as they went in. So he took that option. Scott went in, obviously at speed, and came out on throttle, and that gap was diminishing. But that's what the yellow's for. That's for the safety of Golding and Pye at that point. Look, if I'm in Pye's team, I'm aggrieved and I'll blame Golding, but you've got to put yourself in a driver's situation. And I didn't think Golding had a lot of options. If he tried to do a three-point turn or reverse down the right, he was going to get collected. So he just tried to, to remove himself from a, from a difficult situation that ended in an unfortunate situation for Scott Pye. Understood. Understood completely. It's a difficult one to um, – obviously, the great part of all of this is that there's passion and there's people who have the difference of opinion, which we want in the sport. We, we bemoan it sometimes that we don't get enough of it, um, and it's great that we do have it here, but it's great that we've got the insight here as to the, the how and why. If I was to jump back in on it, if people are doing my job, what's the breach? What breach did Golding do? There's nothing in the rule book that doesn't allow someone to recover from that situation he was in. Very different if he's rejoining the track. He's got to do so safely, but he was already in a dangerous position, hence the yellow. So he didn't really breach a rule. If you come down to rule breaches, the breaches on the car that crashed under yellow, that's actually quite a large breach crashing under a yellow flag situation. The yellow flag's there for a reason. That's why we have marshals, yellows, etc. So I explained that to Charlie. Charlie understood it completely, and I didn't want to march down the path of a penalty for Pi. He had already been penalised. So sometimes the umpire tries to play the good guy, and it bites him. Understood. Is this a thing where maybe the wiring of, of the drivers, and we've talked about it with the full course yellow and the, and the testing that was done on the weekend to, to have these um, speeds put in place for, um, you know, I wasn't going to say code 60, but that, that sort of more controlled scenario. Is it a reminder to the drivers that yellow flags are, are, are not to be taken as a um, – little bit of a loose guide that they're they're there for a, a reason and that you've got to be ready for almost anything that could be awaiting understanding that he's going very fast down that front straight he's got his eyes on he's having a good run he's got a good result going um and then it all goes away in an instant but 
the yellow flag, no matter where it is, means caution, whether you can back off a little bit, a lot, all, whatever you've got the time to do, that's kind of almost the, a, a race driver mentality thing that might need to be slightly rewired. Well, race driver mentality and we've all done it and we'll all continue to do it. You, you, you lose as small amount of time as you can. Um, in the in the in the what when you say a full course yellow and what we're trialing uh, the in car system that's more for a safety car period, but you could then break that down into zones. That's that's something that maybe we could look at, um, where you could flick a button and go right, right as they enter that zone it's a speed, but it takes time to reduce speed. It takes time to get back up to speed. So I think putting it into just certain sectors would be very very difficult. Um, but at the end of the day, when we get our license and we do our flag test, what does the yellow flag mean? It means slow down. Um, the, there's something serious on the, uh, happening on the track. So that I, I, I can't change what a yellow flag means. So they're the two, I guess, big issues, the Reynolds chicane stuff and the, the pie and golding one from Sunday. There was one from Saturday in the race, the long-held, um, the 150-metre board at the end of the back straight before the, the beach chicane, uh, Matt Payne, James Golding, side-by-side side on the run down there, a couple of Mustangs. Um, give, me your, give me your download there. Oh, that's a simple one. So that was something that was introduced years ago as, as drivers. It was actually introduced first for turn eight at Adelaide um, because it's, there's no way you can get two cars through there. Um, the drivers wanted it introduced for, for the beach chicane, which we did. Um, it was originally just at the 150-metre board, but we also have a timing line there now so we can judge who's, who's ahead or who's behind. Um, clearly, not only on timing, um, but on vision, um, Courtney was ahead, so he had right of way. So that's the first part of it. Payne should have conceded, as hard as that is as a driver to concede when you're probably going to end up with the position. But that's in the driver briefing notes. It's a direction from the race director. So basically, he should have backed off, but he didn't. James fought him for the position all the way through the first seven, eight, and nine. But then, stupidly, Matt continued on and then passed Courtney on the inside of the chicane, not u- utilising the chicane whatsoever, just did a s- straight cut and took that position. So that's that's actually a couple of fouls. A, not respecting the race director's um, instruction and then gaining a lasting advantage off track by passing Courtney. So obviously Tickford sent us a message instantly, what's the go, we get timing, we get visual, we look at it. And there's a breach. So the only way you can enforce a rule is to have some kind of penalty. Small in our book is a five second. So that's what he received. But if you do think about it this way, if Courtney had ended up in the fence and it was a major accident, everyone would have blamed Payne for that because it would have been his, his, his fault. Um, so everyone then would expect him to get a massive penalty. So you, you you can't enforce something if the if the rule doesn't have a penalty and the penalty doesn't have an effect. There's no point in having the rule. Yep, understood. A uh, little one from Sunday that I just thought of asking about too, because I don't think there was a TV broadcast vision of this one. 
Uh, Todd Hazelwood and Andre Heimgarten are very late. I think it was four laps to go in Sunday's race. We saw Todd spun um, on the middle of the track, but there was, a, I think, a 15-second penalty for, for Andre there. What was the, the go there? Because we didn't get to see that one. Yeah, um, Andre hit the back of Todd on the turn and point at turn 11, um, resulting in him spinning. Um, Todd carried on but lo- lost multiple positions, so it's a, it's a medium. Um, so that was a, a, a 15, and it's kind of strange because if, if there's one guy in the field you never really see in my office is Andre Heimgartner. He's just that guy that's always seemed so clean and tidy and does things by the book. So uh, a little bit surprised. There was cert- certainly no intent in it. He just, uh, I think he just cleared the brake a little bit quick and, and got the back of Todd and resulting in a sort of half spin. One of the other things that I wanted to quickly talk to you about, um, we mentioned it over the course of the weekend. It was one of the big topics with the the curb sensors. Clearly, the, the improvement in the systems, the accuracy it was fantastic. Whenever there was a driver and, and, and you were great enough and to spend some time with Stefan Bartholomeus from VH Sleuth in race control and showing through some of the, the way things were unfolding, but the vision was clear. You know, out was out and, and the, um, the transponder lines were, were doing their job and coming up with the calls that were matching up with the video vision that you were presented with. But one of the things that we get asked a bit um, through Sleuth, through the radio work that I've been doing is – when that bad sportsmanship flag comes, which is kind of the, hey, one more and you're, uh, you're copying five seconds, is there a way that maybe in the future TV viewers, fans can know who's close to getting that? Is there a way to change that, perhaps that count that you've got in race control that people can see that and know that a bit more? Well, they have that allocation in the pit bunker up until the start of the race. So they see which curb... So we try and Chas Most it. It's his terminology. They wanted the fluoro line there. They wanted it on their dash, so they knew instantly which curb they were hitting. And then the teams can also monitor that. Why supercars? And this is way before my time. Took that away from the teams is to stop someone having the idea that they've got a number left, and then using them all in the last three laps of the race. So when they get their bad sportsmanship flag, and let's say that's a figure of nine, then they get that allocation again prior to a penalty. So everyone thinks, oh, one more and they're gone. There's not. They get that block again. So it's big numbers we're talking at a place like that because there's five possible strikes per lap. So... When someone gets a bad sportsmanship plaque, they've used it a lot, and all the drivers will generally bring it up to that point and then tidy it up a bit. Some don't, and they receive a penalty. So if you put it in the driver's dash or if you put it into the team bunker, I think they would just utilise it as, a, as another tool or a way of gaining an advantage. So... I don't think that works. Um, I think the the best thing is to change, as I said, change the curb profile. That's one of the elements. So as the curb's aggressive enough, you can use it but not overuse it. That would be the first thing. Second thing, if there's budget, we could change some of the corner profiles. Um, That's another thing. And actually, Barry Ryan mentioned a good thing because he wasn't against what Reynolds did. 
on that last lap, as I said. But the, what Barry's always good, he's, he's, he's a guy that's in the trench. He always comes up with ideas. MotoGP have a long lap. So what you could do with what Reynolds did, if you cut straight through at turn two, you could use the long lap at four. So there's, there's ideas, there's, there's things we can evolve all the time, and it's something that would work quite easily there. So even if, you, you, if Reynolds did it as for an advantage, he would then have to go straight ahead. I'm not saying for a, for a hop, I'm saying for a complete cut. If you cut two, you've got to go wide at four. Mm. So mm. There's, there's some ideas floating around up and down the pit lane. There's plenty of brains there. Um, what people have to remember is the sport's laid on and then we're just race control. It's come and handed a book, a supercar's manual and a code of conduct that's put together by drivers, teams, commissions, boards, owners, and, and we have to enforce that. We're not the ones going out there looking for everything. If you see pit lane penalties, it's generally another team throwing another one under the bus. If there's speeding in pit lane, we're not chasing it. It comes up on the, in the technical centre and reported through to us. So there's a lot of people back of house working down in the garages, etc., feeding us information. Sometimes we're just the delivery boys but we're the ones that always get smashed for it, good, bad, or otherwise. Mm, no, understood. Uh, that's pretty much all of the, the the matters of fact from the Boost Mobile Gold Coast 500. Just quickly putting our eyes up to the final round, the Velo Adelaide 500. Yes, it's another street track. Yes, there's a lot of concrete. Um, what's the, the area for that weekend that you'll be most looking at? Is it that chicane that's the, the one that gives you the most analysis of things to look at, whereas – the rest of the track is pretty self-policing because of the, the walls being closer and less of those types of multi-chicanes that the Gold Coast has? Well, turn two has always, always been a little bit of a, a strike point as far as a, a curb hop goes. But what I did a few years back, we used to always have the tyre bundle sitting on top of the curb there. And as a driver, you always felt like you had to go in and you kind of felt like you went round the bundle, not through the corner. So I relieved that back about 400 mil. Um, so as a driver could go in and cut turn one a little bit. So that's really relieved the pressure on the turn two component. You're not sort of feeling like you're going around and running wide. You're sort of going through one and straight across two. So it's really relieved that pressure. So it hasn't been a big issue. We've got another 150 timing loop into turn eight. Um as we've discussed earlier in the show, um, that's a back-off point for the for safety reasons. And then as you get into turn eight, that's that's always a, a hold-on corner as a driver. Most of the mistakes come from being a little bit greedy on entry um, and you'll clip the inside wall, which fires you to the outside wall with zero forgiveness. That's guaranteed. Mm. So these cars are a little bit wider, um, Less, less aero. Um, they'll be arriving there faster. They'll be a bigger handful through that corner. So I think that's the corner you, you want to buy a ticket and go and sit on. It's going to be a big one. Velo Adelaide 500 wraps it up. Championship on the line. Brody Kostecki, 131 points uh, in front of Shane Van Gisbergen. And after all that work, 500 Ks of racing, he ended up with the same margin coming out that he had uh, going in. But 
uh, two races to go. Uh, Beto, thanks so much for joining us on V8 Sleuth Race Centre. Really appreciate the insight and the, the analysis of things. We'll do it again uh, in the aftermath of Adelaide. And in the meantime, we'll, we'll see you in a few weeks' time. Yeah, cool, mate. Thanks. There he is, Craig Baird, V8 Sleuth Race Control. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Hope you got some more insight to the Boost Mobile Gold Coast 500. Don't forget, Castrol Motorsport News podcast on Tuesday. The V8 Sleuth podcast polished by Bowden Zone Premium Car Care is on Wednesday with my special guest this week, Steve Owen. Tune in to all the podcasts this week. We'll chat to you again soon.